0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the March 19, 2023 session, focusing on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, Hidden in Darkness. I'm David Cassidy.
1: I'm Nikki Hordeman.
2: I'm
0: Daniel Glaze.
3: And I'm Crystal Shepard.
0: Wait a minute.
2: Is, Is that I Crystal right? Shepard? Yes. It's Crystal Shepard. <laughs>
3: Yay!
2: <laughs> Somebody let her back in. That's Y'all
3: did. Watch out.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so good to see you again. We're glad to have you back with us.
3: It's good to be back for
0: sure. Well, Bert is out, unfortunately sick with COVID again. And so, you know, say a prayer for our friend Bert. He is, he's had quite the road and and we pray health for him and recovery but we are so glad that crystal is with us again she's had a busy life and and uh, thankfully mm-hmm. things calmed down enough today for her to to join us we hope <laughs> we hope <laughs> <laughs> we are we are experiencing uh, some significant storms coming through kentucky as we record and so both crystal and i live in lexington so if if our connections get get odd you'll know why but well speaking of storms I'm wondering if you might have a story about being scared of the dark, either for yourself or your kids or somebody else. Scared of the dark.
1: Okay, I've got one for you. <laughs> so I really have not, I was never a kid who was scared of the dark. I don't remember that as a child. But I do remember writing, what is that Disney World? The the ride with the stars. Come on, David, you know this.
2: The ride.
1: Oh, the one at Epcot. Not Epcot. It's (laughs) like you're in a spaceship.
0: Oh, Oh. you know about Space Mountain?
1: Yeah, Yeah, Space Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never ridden Space Mountain before. And I get on and realize it is pitch black. (laughs) Yes. On a roller coaster. (laughs) My head is taller than the seat. (laughs) So the whole time we are driving we are riding space mountain i keep like ducking my head and if y'all could see me you would be laughing right now because like i'm ducking but i'm like ducking my head because i'm terrified i'm gonna hit my head on something and like (laughs) i really thought i'm never gonna ride space mountain again because i was so scared i was gonna get knocked out because it was pitch black on a roller
0: coaster yes it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) and somehow i did not know that
0: probably good you didn't know (laughs) until you got on there
1: Probably, yeah.
2: yeah. So it's interesting, not exactly fear of the dark, but when my oldest daughter was little, she could only fall asleep if her room were actually pitch black, 100%. We had to have the special shades. She even would roll up a towel and put that at the bottom of the door. And if she forgot, she would, you know... Mama, Papa, there's light coming in. And she could not, she could not do it. It was the strangest thing. And uh, yeah, but well, that's the least strange thing she's done. But you know, that's, it was the funniest thing. For me,
3: it, so it wasn't necessarily the dark But so my great grandmother would take like plastic dolls and she would make clothes for them and she would sell them at like flea markets and things like that. And so she would always like when we we would go visit, she would give me a doll and usually I got to pick it out. Well, she had these like, you know, three foot tall dolls and I picked out I got to pick out one at different times and I got two of them. And one of them was this beautiful, like, long-haired dog. I named her Philadelphia because I thought it was a sophisticated name. And she had, like, a southern belle, like, yellow and black lace and yellow dress. And there was another one dressed in the same type of dress. But she had, like, cropped hair. And that doll sat in the corner of my room, and so it was, like, dark at night. And I'm laying in bed, and I kid you not, I saw that doll's arm freaking move. (laughs) And I was petrified. It never happened during the daytime. It only happened at night. So much so that I kept telling my parents, that doll moves. That doll moves. They put it in the attic. (laughs) Of course. I saw it. I, no, it but the attic like steps were in my closet. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? I mean, I like, guess my little like five year old self or right. something. I went up in the attic with my parents and I swore that she like turned her head to look at me. <laughs> so I did not like anything to do with like dolls in the dark. No. no. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, I'm sure if Bert was here, he would give us a Stephen King reference to go along with that. Sure, sure, I've got one today. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, for me, it would be a story from my childhood. I, I've always had a very active imagination, and we lived out in the country when I was very young, and I remember it was dark and late one night, and I heard this sound, and it was a whistling sound, and it was off in the distance, and then it, it would. It would make the noise and then a minute or two would pass and it would do it again. It would be a little closer, it'd be a little louder, a little. And it kept doing that. And I was totally freaked out because I was sure the aliens were coming for us. And so I ended up getting the courage up to go wake up my mom and dad and let them know. And they're like, oh, go back to bed. That's a whippoorwill. A whippoorwill. <laughs> I'd never heard one before. So <laughs> Anyway, yeah. I don't know if that was scared of the dark, but the dark made it scarier, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it wouldn't have been oh. scary if it were light outside.
0: No, it sure, that's right, that's right.
1: No, yeah, It wouldn't have.
0: No. Nope. Well, we, we have a passage that deals a little with light and darkness, and Crystal, would you help us get started with this one?
3: Sure. I have a confession to make. I hate the darkness. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm afraid of the dark, but rather what lurks in it. Being in the dark inhibits our ability to see. It obscures shapes and distorts them to make an innocent tree look like a menacing monster. Horror movies have the ghost or the killers or whatever scary thing there is hide in the cover of a dark closet, a shaded forest, the shadow of the clouds over the moon. One of the most terrifying movies in my childhood. And I'm sorry, Daniel, was it. <laughs> Stephen King masterfully hides Pennywise the Clown in a storm drain to lure kids in. And then Nightmare on Elm Street took it a step further and had Freddie hide within the darkness of dreams. So darkness and the absence of light equals big, scary things in my mind. The darkness hides those things that would seek to control, kill, or destroy us. And the warnings that we see in popular culture on television and in the movies and songs and stories are similar to what we hear from the writer of Ephesians and what they are telling the believers to heed. Ephesians is commonly accepted as either a writing of Paul or someone writing in his name. It focuses heavily on discipleship and what it means to be a believer. Paul is reminding them, for once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. You were once hiding all sorts of things, but now you are transparent. Live as children of the light, displaying the fruit of light, which is all that is good and right and true. Unfruitful works are a result of the darkness, so don't conceal them, but expose them. Then the writer quotes, Sleeper awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Don't be blind to the works of the darkness. Don't sleep while these acts are taking place within you or around you. Instead, wake up and see. Allow the light to shine on these things. Through the years, these monsters or these deeds, the unfruitful works of the darkness have come to mean different things. If I look at personal piety, it could be being truthful rather than lying taking the lower grade rather than cheating on a test, being honest with someone instead of saving face, admitting to when you are wrong and making an amends. If I look more systemically, it can mean combating inequity in systems that promote the harm and the hurt of the least of these. Today, I sat in on a meeting about a bill proposed in Kentucky that would limit the scope of practice for medical and mental health professionals to trans teens seeking gender affirming care. The bill seeks to protect children by limiting their ability to live into their authentic and true selves and get mental and physical health care that they need. It would leave providers open to punishment and revoking of licenses for providing compassionate and affirming care. This focus on gender and genitalia obscures the very real danger to children from real monsters like sexual abuse, murder, or suicide. Children in Kentucky and even nationally are more likely to suffer the devastating effects of sexual abuse from someone they know rather than be harmed by a trans person. Trans individuals and other members of the LGBTQIA community have a greater threat of being murdered or committing suicide without protection from the law, rather than laws being used to police them and their bodies. But, Crystal, what does this have to do with Paul's writings all those years ago? If we are light, if we are called to shine and bear the fruit of all that is good and right and true, Could it be said that we can be called to stand with people seeking to live into their authentic selves and into who they believe God wants them to be? Wouldn't it be important, even if we didn't agree with that, to spotlight the harm that comes from legislating morality? Or even beyond that, as light bearers? wouldn't it be life-giving to someone to love them enough to listen and to walk alongside them? to make the darkness a little less formidable. And in the words of Albus Dumbledore, finding happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. We reflect the light of Christ. We are that light. So flip the switch and sleepers awake, step into the light and shine so that the darkness loses its power and the monsters of fear, injustice, and shame scatter. Shine so that the things that would distort the beautiful image of Christ found in the other and in us is made fully visible.
2: May it be so. Crystal, thank you for that reflection. My mind is, is raising at, at all of the wonderful things that can happen when we seek to be light. Not only is there light upon us, and and we can find our own way, we can shine light on others, helping them to see who God has created them to be. Our light shines in situations. The one you mentioned in Kentucky, when children who need care are going to be denied care, and they will die. The, the, The power of light to not only, as Paul puts it, expose the darkness, but also show a better way. It, it, it's just really, really powerful here. And despite your opening about, you know, clowns and storm drains, which I can forgive, okay. but <laughs> no, it was a beautiful reflection. And I appreciate your sharing that with us.
1: Thank you. I agree. Your reflection on light and dark and was beautiful. And it really got us started on this conversation. And I, I love this passage, because I think that one of the things that I love the most about it is that it doesn't tell us to stop the dark. It doesn't, Mm. we're not instructed to talk about or demean or judge the dark. We are simply told that if we live by the light, we will reveal that which is been what that which is in the dark, and so our job has nothing to do with stopping darkness; it has to do with bringing more light and I guess I think that sometimes in our contentious world as it is right now, it feels like Every time we turn around, someone's getting mad about something. I feel like I get mad about things more than I used to. I think that that's a good reminder that our job is not to get rid of the dark, but to shine our light everywhere that we can.
0: And it doesn't take much light, right? I remember we were touring some caves, I love touring caves, and of course here in Kentucky we have Mammoth Cave and all those systems around it, and a lot of times if you're on a tour in a cave, they will stop for a moment and say, okay everybody, we're going to turn out all the lights, let you experience true, complete darkness, and they do that, and it really is amazing because you can't see your hand in front of your face, you you just can't see anything, and it's kind of freaky. (laughs) But if they light a match in there, then, I mean, it's amazing how much darkness that little bitty Mm -hmm. light dispels. And, And so I think sometimes we forget or underestimate maybe the power of even a little bit of light in the midst of darkness.
2: It's interesting, David. It strikes me. If you light a candle outside, on a very sunny day, it doesn't do anything. No. <laughs> but but in the middle of the night, yeah. that's all you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's taking everything I have within me to not start singing my seventies hymn. It only takes a spark to get a fire glowing. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> Every do part it. of me wants to start singing it right
2: now. <laughs> Listen, I was just about to suggest this little light of mine. So oh, that's good yeah. too. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So well and I, I love what you were saying. I think you were saying it, Nikki, that our job is is not to through our words or actions or judgmentalism. Dispel all the darkness or to criticize it or to say to others, you know, whom we consider to be in the darkness, you know, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And our our job is simply to to shine our light. Mm -hmm. That's, and, and, you know, most days it takes everything I can to just do that.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And so if we can just do that, and I don't know, if I if I can authentically shine my light, maybe, maybe someone will have the courage to do that, too.
1: You know, that makes me think of the Me Too movement. One woman stood up and said, I was sexually assaulted. And then another woman said, Me Too. Mm-hmm. And, another said, me too. and another woman said, Me Too. And another woman said, Me Too. And I think with each one of those, the light of telling the truth got brighter and while that is still a problem in our world today, sexual assault is still rampant. I think we've reached a season in which we are no longer allowing those things to be swept under the carpet, but we are putting them out in the open and people are getting prosecuted and having to serve time because of these awful things that they've done. And it really just took one woman standing up and saying, me too, that happened to me too. And it gave other women the courage to do the same thing. And I think that, I think that that is a form of shining our light into the world. I think there are lots of different ways that it looks, but anything, that brings that which was hidden or in the dark to be unhidden and known and seen is a way that we shine our
2: light and I'm trying to process something here and I need you all to help me with it for too many of us shining our light is about certainty that I'm right you're wrong and I need to expose what you're doing but verse 10 counters that. Verse 10 talking about living as children in the light, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. That's about seeking, that's about searching. It's mm. about questioning more than answering. That's about the interrogative more than the declarative. Shining a light to me in light of verse in light of verse 10 <laughs> is <laughs> is about being a person who's seeking and searching and questioning and being open and inclusive to the light of others. I, I don't know. Is any of that making sense? I, I, I'm trying to think through this.
1: Okay. Say that part. One, say that again. Like verse
2: 10. Verse, children. Yeah. For, well, it's it, leading into it. Paul is saying, live as children of the light. And then he's got this command in verse 10 Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And it, it strikes me that, that that's more about seeking and searching than, than knowing all the answers. This, this try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. So I, I wonder mm-hmm. if living in the light is more about being inquisitive and searching and seeking rather than, I'm right, I have to expose what's wrong in you. Mm-hmm. I, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I. that makes sense to me. And I think it's fair to the text. The, the text is not giving us any instructions about being certain about anything. It simply is saying, when you live the way God calls us to live, you are living in the light. And that brings light into the world. And I don't ever see any instructions here or elsewhere that tell us that we are supposed to tell other people that they are wrong. Like, that's God's job. That's not our job. And that doesn't mean we don't work with one another and, you know, but our job isn't to judge. So, yes, I do think that inquisitiveness curiosity, openness to possibility, and openness to God is all a part of the light.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And all those things. I, and Crystal, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to jump in here because I think counselors and therapists are folks who, who help us with our light, mm-hmm. help us uncover that. I'm not trained as a therapist, but, my experiences have been it's less about, well, what you ought to do is X, Y, Z, right, and more about asking questions, right? Lots, lots I mean, of questions. I, I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's something there that you could share, like the 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 joy and the help of asking questions to uncover light, mm-hmm. rather than just go and do this,
3: right? It's not a prescription,
2: it, right? You know, right.
3: It, it's it's not. You know, if you follow these three steps, you're going to find your light, or you know, so yeah. I mean, I think you're as a therapist, and, and you know, I think if I think to some extent, ministers can do this too, asking those questions and having people explore what they think about something or what they believe. Like, I have clients come to me, so as a pastoral counselor. I don't, I not only get the mental health side of things, I get the theological side of things and spiritual. And so like, I'll have people come to me in like crises of faith and they'll ask, you know, they're coming to me and being like, I thought God was this, or I thought my faith was this. And now I don't know what to do. And so then we start pulling apart and asking all these questions And when I think about it, it's kind of like what seminary does too, but like you're, you're pulling apart and you're asking questions so that you can, you can find those little like cracks to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And then that's where, you know, what's the quote about that? The cracks are where the light shines through. Like that is literally like what happens. And I watch people have this experience over and over again, where, you know, what they thought about God or a person that they hated or whatever changes because they've had the opportunity to question and to to dig deeper. Yeah. And, and I will just give you all a little hint. It's really helpful if you ask open-ended questions, not a yes, not a no, but something where someone can say, I've got to think about this. And I like to use that in my own practice of delving deeper into my stuff, like being curious. I love that Daniel talking about being curious, because I think that is a way in which we find what is inside of us and what, you know, it talks in in the scripture about, you know, what is true and, and kind of like, I think we do get a little bit of a, you know, three part little litmus test to kind of say This is not how you're supposed to believe, but, you know, it's kind of like it reminds me of talking about the fruit of the spirit. You're going to see these things. That's what's associated with the light. What is good? What is true? You know, you're going to see these things. Unfruitful works are works of the darkness. Things that aren't bearing life. I'm probably not answering your question, but I think that's part of this, this process. Is what are we seeing? Are we seeing something good and true? Or so it's not a right or wrong. It's more of a question of. It's like a spectrum. Light is a spectrum, right? And I can only see certain fractions of light. I don't see the red or the blue or whatever. I. Does that am I making sense? I don't think I'm making sense.
2: Absolutely,
1: (laughs) you
3: are. You are. You are. (laughs) I'm getting like metaphysical on us here. <laughs> spectrum, but I think that I think that's like I think that's the beauty of it. Like God is not like in this teeny tiny little box, and it has to be this little check mark. It's like there's this whole beautiful wide range that is there. So why can't there be a wide range of what is light? If it's not hurting someone, if it's if it's from a place of love. Is that light?
0: So the late Frederick Beatner noticed, as many of us certainly are as we read this passage, that the scriptures frequently make use of this contrast between light and darkness. We see it in this passage, but we see it in lots of other places. So he actually penned a, a portion of his, of his work called Whistling in the Dark, and it, and it deals with this. So let me, I, I want to share this with you as a way of, of wrapping up our conversation. The Old Testament begins with darkness. And the last of the Gospels ends with it. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, Genesis says. Darkness was where it all started. Before darkness, there had never been anything other than darkness, void and without form. And at the end of John, the disciples go out fishing on the Sea of Tiberias. It is night. They have no luck. Their nets are empty. And then they spot somebody standing on the beach. At first, they don't see who it is in the darkness. It is Jesus. The darkness of Genesis is broken by God in great majesty, speaking the word of creation. Let there be light. That's all it took. The darkness of John is broken by the flicker of a charcoal fire on the sand. Jesus has made it. He cooks some fish on it for his old friend's breakfast. On the horizon, there are the first pale traces of the sun getting ready to rise. All the genius and glory of God are somehow represented by these two scenes— not to mention what St. Paul calls God's foolishness. The original creation of life itself is almost too extraordinary to take in. The little cookout on the beach is almost too ordinary to take seriously. Yet, if Scripture is to be believed, enormous stakes were involved in them both, and still are. Only a saint or a visionary can begin to understand God setting the very sun on fire in the heavens. And therefore, God takes another tack. By sheltering a spark with a pair of cupped hands and blowing on it, the light of the world gets enough of a fire going to make breakfast. It's not apt to to be your interest in cosmology or even in theology that draws you to it. So much as it's the empty feeling in your stomach. You don't have to understand anything very complicated. All you're asked to do is take a step or two forward through the darkness and start digging in. Hmm. The empty feeling in your stomach. May we all feel that and seek the light that pleases God. Thank you all for this good conversation. thank you you. learn more about our faith element bible study curriculum at faithelement.net faith element is a service of faith lab